This time in the Magic Kitchen, we're joined by author Astrea Taylor. I'm Leander Witchwood. And I'm Elise Wells. And welcome to the Magic Kitchen podcast, where we talk about magic, kitchen witchcraft, herbs, and everything in between. Magic Kitchen Podcast is funded and supported by thewitchwoodteahouse.com, offering a variety of hand-blended loose-leaf teas, as well as loose herbs for all of your ritual, spellwork, wellness, and everyday enjoyment needs. If you would like to support this podcast while sipping a great cup of tea, head over to thewitchwoodteahouse.com and find the magic that's in store for you. Happy 2024, everybody. We wanted to start this season, this year, this egregore of change that is New Year's, with a thank you to all of our listeners. We're really grateful for you. It's it's so rewarding doing what we do because we know that we're a part of the magical journey for so many people. And, and that's... That's humbling. Like we talk about it a lot between the two of us. Like it's just Mm -hmm. crazy to us that you want to sit out there and and listen to us chat. Like, you know, it's (laughs) it's just so cool. Like it's such an amazing thing. Like one of those I'm glad to be alive things when I think about this podcast and the listeners that I've connected with through this podcast and (sighs) just overwhelming gratitude for you. Well, and I think it speaks volumes to that idea of like, oh, well, I've got nothing to say. Nobody wants to listen to me type thing. Because that's, I mean, that's exactly how I've always felt with this podcast is like, why am I speaking to the void? That's one of the reasons why Elise and I started working together is because I was like, I'm just sitting here talking. Like, who wants to listen to me just ramble on about my opinion (laughs) on things or my experience on things? Like, I want somebody to talk to. (laughs) So, you know, this whole experience, being able to talk to Elise about things that also interest you out there. And then it helps and like getting feedback from you guys helps me realize like my experience is valid because it's helping someone else. It's not just me speaking to the void. And I know that we feel like that sometimes that we're just speaking to the void. (laughs) Yeah. And in the past, you know, we've been asking you, like, write us in. Tell us Mm -hmm. if you like it. Like, leave us a review, a five star review. And especially if you take the time to write a couple of words helps so much like you've no idea like that's what we're waiting on for our podcast to grow is your you taking a few minutes to go into apple Podcasts and leave Mm -hmm. us a couple of words or go into the app you use and leave us that five star like that's the difference but it really means a lot if you take the time to email us or message us on social media and tell us how the podcast is helping you and we got a couple of really nice emails over the holiday that we wanted to read out to you because it, I, I hope that you feel the same way. It was the kind of message where I was like, this is why I do what I do. So if you feel yes. the same way, please write us in. We'd love to read out 
your experiences on the show, like Caleb and Misha allowed us to. And, you know, we'd love to hear from you in general, even if you're not comfortable with that. So first, we've got a nice message from Caleb. (laughs) Caleb says, I understand that I am just one of many listeners to your podcast, but I wanted to express my undying gratitude for the work that you both have done for this community. Your podcast came up in my recommended, and I decided to take a listen. And I've never felt such an instant connection with two people I've never met before or such a sense of belonging in a community. I had struggled with my spirituality for so long, but I'm happy to say that your podcast has helped guide me to fully realize my path and work towards my craft every day. I am so thankful for you and the work you do. Your guidance and wisdom has truly helped me in ways I cannot even begin to express. I took a moment today to meditate and send as much warmth and gratitude as I could your way. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. That's so awesome. I'm so, I'm touched that, that we, I, I just I, I can't even I have no words <laughs> I know and shout out Caleb if you're listening Caleb also suggested a topic in my community for this month's exclusive video which is a 15 minute topic you know like an interactive uh, workshop that I post and it's such a good one salt ah, he was yeah. like you could do a whole video just on the millions of ways oh to use salt God. and I was like oh that's genius so I've been having so much fun putting that together like <laughs> Yeah. So, and, and this, this was a great example of like somebody messaged, you know, thought it was going to sit there in an inbox. And instead we had a brilliant conversation and now he's yeah. part of my community. Like it's, it's so Good. nice bridging that gap from like the void to social interaction in a slight way and like a follow or a like on a post to like, I feel like I know a lot of you listeners like in person because we've connected yeah. and that that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it it travels so far, just the simplicity of it. And I think we talk ourselves out of contacting those people that really impact our journey. And I'm, I, I don't know why. I, I guess it's this cultural shadow that we carry with us that is not always readily identified. And you know, the same thing. We have had so many profound experiences from somebody just saying, hey, tell me more about this. Or, you know, you mentioned this in the podcast and I want to learn more about it. And it's becomes this its own egregore where we can dive into it and get more depth into our practice. And I really think that this is stuff that can't be like necessarily written about in books because it has to come with that context. It has to come with that experience of like, yeah. hey, tell me more about this. Or you mentioned this on the podcast. So in the community, that's where we really connect with each other. And we really get to know our journeys and what matters to each of us. I love this. This is fun. Yeah. <laughs> and we got one more beautiful email Mm. that I wanted to read out from Misha. Misha's also a beloved community member now. Again, it just, I won't beat the dead (laughs) horse, but it's just, I just love when like these relationships can grow from this podcast. So she says, I wanted to reach out and say thanks for your podcast. I am very new to the world of witchy things. Finally, I have acknowledged a long time interest and pull. I've started exploring and trying to discover what it all means to me. I found your podcast and have been finding it very informative and honest. What I especially enjoy is that you seem willing to discuss the depth that comes along with being a witch and that you speak to the long lineage and the learning of a practice that is both your own and the world's. That is 
this one meant a lot because I feel like she got it. Like, that's our goal. We're yeah. always saying, like, this is a lineage <laughs> we all belong to. How can mm-hmm. we tap in? Make it personal. That's what we say all the time. Yep. Take anything we say and do what you want with it. Like, it is not law. Right. Right. And it, it has to be personal. It has to be your own. And then there's always that thing of, I'm afraid I'm doing it wrong. I'm afraid I'm not doing it right. I'm not doing yeah. it the way I'm told to be doing it. It's, you know, there's, I don't know, it it, it frustrates me because we're taught, I, I think we're conditioned when we get on social media and we see these witches doing whatever it is they're doing on social media. I know we, we've talked about this a lot too, where this there's this aesthetic or this ideal that your practice has to look this way, it has to feel this way, it has to flow this way in order for it to be real. And that's not true. It needs to flow the right way for you. And if you take a piece of an idea that someone pulled out of out of their hat and shared it with you on social media and you take that, that's not the whole of the, the sum of the whole. You know, you have to take that with, okay, this is a piece of what they're showing me. This isn't their entire practice. So if I'm going to apply it to my practice, I need to make yeah. it work for me. I need to understand why why they did it the way they did it first and so that I can understand why it needs to be practiced the way I practice it. And, you know, one of, one of these subjects came up um, in stirring your coffee and stuff in everyday magic. So one person asked me, well, why can't I just use a knife? And I was like, whoa, 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 let's not use knives. <laughs> and here's something, here's a background in my practice and something that I was taught that makes sense in my practice. And it might not make pr- sense in your practice. You might be like, oh, that's bullshit. I'm going to just get rid of that. But we don't stir anything with knives in my practice or forks because they cut, because they stab. And when we are trying to attract, when we're trying to manifest, when we're trying to bring into our lives the energy that we want, we don't want to cut it. We don't want to pierce it or put a hole in it. We want to scoop it up and we want to hold it. So that's the idea behind that. So we use spoons, we'll use straws, but we won't use knives. We won't use forks because those stab and cut. So, so this is something you're not, this is the context you're not necessarily going to get if on social media. So we take what we learn from other people and we bring it into a more rounded understanding, which I think that's what happens in the communities. That's what we try to do here on the podcast, <laughs> trying to show and demonstrate that there is context behind the things we do. And there's a reason why, even though it's not always spoken. Mm-hmm. So asking those questions draws that out and helps us speak about it more. Yeah. If that makes and sense. And I know <laughs> that also, this is an example, honestly, um, of of another thing Misha mentioned, right? That it's your own practice. For me, yes. in my tradition, in the eclectic fairy tradition that I was initiated in, it we use knives to stir the cup in a symbolic gesture of mm. like that's why there's the athame, like you know, Wicca 101, because this is where this comes from. My tradition is, yeah, I'm the sixth yes. generation away now. Um, but this is where this comes from. There's athames and there's bolins. And athames are ceremonial knives. So they will never, yes. ever, under any circumstances, be used to cut or even carve a rune or anything. You don't do it. That knife is 100% for basically the air and the liquids. Mm. And then your bolin is your active knife. 
So if you have an uh, offer yeah. you want to cut slices up for during cakes and ale, that's what you use. If you have a rune you want to carve into a candle, you can use your bolin. If you want to give blood, you know, we've talked a little bit about blood and bone yep. magic in yep. the past. You could use your bolin for that. Obviously, sanitize the heck out of it before you, you know, cut an apple again. <laughs> but that's an option. <clears throat> but athames are that sacred knife, which represents, I've always seen it as like representing like the sides of the coin of like death and life. Life and death are, you know, birth and and new life is one half of death, right? We go through that same corridor on our way in that we do on the way out. So that's how I see the athame, and that's why we've used it. But I also don't do that individual practice of putting my athame in my cup because it has, like, a lot of fertility. It is, yeah. It's it's phallic. (laughs) It gives me the heebie-jeebies. I don't like thinking of my athame that way. It's it's an asexual athame in my space. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Well, and and the training that I came from was the same way. The athame was air. It was the the male representation. The goblet was the female representation. And that's all we ever used it for was that union, that that chalice blade union. And that's where that comes from. But then when I started following my own path where my athame, it took on a different uh, tool. It was a tool. It was a magical tool. That is used for cutting. It is used for carving. It is used because I use it to cut my herbs. I use it to carve candles. I use it to anoint. I use it all these other ways. So it, it becomes that functional tool. That, mm. So there's this is this is a great example of how you can take what you've been taught, yeah. but then it makes sense in a different way, using it a different way when you evolve your practice, when you evolve yeah. yourself and your practice and it changes too like now i don't yeah. even have an athame i don't even use it in my practice. <laughs> but when i had the chance to it was a really great tool so you just never know yeah. how your path's gonna progress how Mm-mm. you'll change the way you use things but yeah it's that openness and and i think that's why mentorship and community is so so important it's so craft. important because it's it's just that yeah. person to say hey man i was thinking what do you think about <laughs> I did right. this and this happened. Is that weird? <laughs> like that's sometimes that's yep. all it's about is just the little right. bits of validation that we need or the little talk it throughs right. that we have. <laughs> it makes it all worthwhile. <laughs> and just understanding why we do what we do. You know, not that, oh, I I do this simply because that's how the tradition is. That's how we've always done it. I hate that. Oh, yeah. I will be honest. Mm-hmm. Like when anybody ever says that to me, I freaking hate that. Don't tell mm-hmm. me you just do it because that's because that's how it's always been done. No, why? There's a reason behind it. There is mythology. There's lore. There's logic behind it. Tell me why. Why do you do that? So if you can't tell me why you do something and your only answer is because that's how we've always done it. There's something missing there. There's some depth to the practice you're missing. So find out why. Like if there, yeah, if you do something, like even if it's a family tradition that you you guys have just always done, why? What's the history behind it? Find the lore, find the mythology behind it. Because there's yeah. something, there's got to be something. You know, maybe it, maybe it was just your grandmother's preference and that's why you do it. And you realize, oh, I don't actually like that. Let me find my own preference, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's empowering. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, empower your craft. Definitely empower your craft. And actually, that is a good segue into a fun announcement. <laughs> I have oh. my next workshop. I've heard your call. So many people have been like, 
Just teach us how to cast a circle. Just show me how to call the guardians. Who are they? What are they about? Who are they? What are they doing? (laughs) It's happening, guys. February 10th. Finally. February 10th at 4 p.m., but it'll also be recorded. So if you want to get your ticket, it will be, you know, you'll get the full recording indefinitely. Um, The workshop is called To Cast a Circle. And it's an introduction to the basics of spell work, ritual, and creating sacred space. So awesome. it's going to be a really fun deep dive into the basics. So if you've if you've been like an armchair witch this whole time, no worries. <laughs> we all start that way. But if you're we ready do. to start the magic, if you're feeling new and unsure, confused, or honestly afraid of what might happen mm-hmm. if you start the magic, this is the workshop for you. And there's still a few early bird tickets left um, at a discounted rate as of recording this. So take a look for that. It's on my website, seehenumina.com. And yeah, if you can't find it, just email me. Love to see you there. And speaking of announcements, it's, this is going to be a, a busy, like first part of the uh, new year. And I love it. <laughs> so um, I am offering a free summit January 21st. Um it's called Winter Transformation for Witches. And what this is, it's about getting clear and getting focused in your craft. And it is completely free. So what it's going to be a, a morning routine, an afternoon routine, and then we're going to go into the evening. I'm going to end it with a live ritual and a live Q&A. And it, this is all about getting yourself motivated, getting yourself confident in your craft, getting yourself to the position where you can fight procrastination, where you can get organized. And um, if you guys like this, I'm planning to do these every quarter, offer them for free for a limited time so that you can get yourself reoriented and resituated. And it's an opportunity for me to offer you some free and easy methods for getting over ourselves in the craft so please yeah join me it's gonna be january 21st it's an all-day event um and we'll start like 8 a.m and (laughs) we'll go all day so it's definitely one of those things where it'll be somewhat at your pace your own pace but i will release videos and discussions and that sort of thing throughout the day and you can find the link in the show notes for that Estrella Taylor is an eclectic pagan witch with over two and a half decades of experience. She presents workshops and rituals online and at festivals across the country. Estrella is the author of Intuitive Witchcraft and Air Magic, co-author of Modern Witchcraft with the Greek Gods, and blogger of Starlight Witch on Pathios Pagan. She hosts the Deep Deep podcast, holds a bachelor's degree from Antioch College, and earned a master's degree in environmental sciences from Wright State University. Visit her and learn more at estrellataylor.com. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. We're glad you're we here. We both really loved Creativity Magic, um, your latest book, Inspiring Creativity Through Magic. And particularly, well, no, let me start, let me start here. So I'm a fan <laughs> of a lot of the books that you've referenced in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, the Artist's Way is actually how I wrote my first novel was Hey, there it is. Yeah, there it is. I have it too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's on my Kindle, but like literally 
that's how it should look. Like I wish, yeah. I wish I had the physical version because it would look a more like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have the digital too. <laughs> Mine's from the nineties, um, and the pages are literally yellowed. <laughs> oh, I love that. Underlined. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Mm. Um. Oh my gosh! You got one it too. There it oh, there it is. <laughs> yes, another one I have digitally. <laughs> I've read both those books so many times. They are amazing. And this book is really built on the foundations of those two books primarily. Well, and it's funny that you say that because that's how it felt like, but Mm -hmm. your book is so different. Like it's the book for witches, Mm -hmm. like reading both of those books. You're like, oh, well, me anyway, I was like, oh, this is great. Like it reminds me of the way I work with creative spirits. Yours takes what we already know and love and actually applies it in a direct way for witches and pagans, which is like so needed because this is the resurgence. I've never, not even resurgence. It's like the surgence, I guess, of (laughs) witchcraft today. Like I've never, I feel like it's gone into such a creative space. It's almost mainstream. And Mm -hmm. your book is very timely in that way. Thank you. And yeah, I think like, this is like the magical artist's way. This is bigger magic <laughs> in, in yeah. a way. That's how I think of it. And you're right. I do feel like we're living in this huge um, era where, you know, we have more religious tolerance, spiritual tolerance of different ideas and more communication with other people. And we can share those ideas and everyone is clearly proliferating. I mean, there's a lot of misinformation and, um, other people trying to like take advantage of it and to shame other people for not doing X, Y, Z. But I think that the positives far outweigh the negatives. And I just love this era that we're in and this newfound freedom that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. And actually that kind of reminds me of the, one of, one of my favorite parts of your book is the way you focused on egregore as a concept. And that that's part of it really is we're in, like we have the zeitgeist of, witchcraft is cool now (laughs) to kind of play off of (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I don't I almost I almost feel like egregore is like a like a like a I don't even know how to describe how it looks like it's it's so visceral and tangible around us but we also get the chance to create our own egregore so actually Mm -hmm. if you could describe like the way you see egregore in the creative Mm -hmm. process and otherwise Sure. Well, I think that we live in a world made of energy and thought forms that are collective. Um, They're huge or small, you know, in shape, collective shape. And then we have our individual ones as well. And where, you know, we have those thought forms that exist within us and that we create in our lives and we feed with our energy, they kind of bump up against the collective ones. Sometimes they intermesh, sometimes they flow harmoniously, sometimes there's interference. But really, I think having that mental shift into the animistic world where everything does have a spirit and intelligence and an energy, and we can feel that and interact with that is one of the basics, I think, of how I define witchcraft and magic. So, uh, you know, also the energy within us as well. And I think that's where magic can really blossom is when we're like, okay, this is energy within me. I'm going to change it to this. I'm going to put it out there in the world. 
you're basically creating an egregore for your magic. You're putting your thoughts out there. You're putting your energy out there, your spirit out there, you know, in a lot of ways. Uh, and this is, you know, loosely interpreted, but I think the best way that I've learned how to describe egregores is the movie Barbie, <laughs> because in Barbie world, they're all these energetic impressions of the creation, you know, whatever was created. You know, there's like retro Barbie, there's a weird Barbie, there's President Barbie, and they all have like, this is who I am, this is what I do. And they're independent of their creator, they're living their own lives, interacting with other egregores, <laughs> and they have their own missions, they have their own lives, their own things that they do, and they are fulfilled by uh, the people who interact with them, like little girls, uh, the creator, other people who play with Barbies or interact with them. And then um, if you haven't seen Barbie, the uh, main character, Barbie, I, I can't remember her name or title, but basically someone is having a bad time with her Barbie and is putting that energy into her and she has to go into the real world to fix it. And so that kind of shows you how we as creators or as people in general, we have influence over these spirits that are out there. We can interact with them. We can project upon them. We can um, you know, have, have that interaction. Uh, and then there's a scene with, uh, Barbie and her creator. And she's like, I created you to do this. I created you to be empowering, to, to spread this kind of message into the world. And that's what I think we do with our art. And so that's, I mean, that came out when like, uh, uh, I think a little bit after my book came out, this just came out in July. <clears throat> anyway, uh, it's it's just been a gorgeous thing to talk about the concept of egregores and to have everyone kind of get on board with them because the ancients believed that there were spirits everywhere as well. And I think modern culture is just coming now to this idea and being like, oh, okay, actually, we kind of just now understand and there are layers upon layers as well. It's complicated, but it's a great theory that I think that we can work with as witches and magicians. I like that. And and thinking about that whole the whole metaphor for how we live our lives, because I think all of us have that purpose and purpose in life. We're all here to do something specific, to fulfill some sort of whether you call it a soul contract or, you know, something that is meant for you specifically. And it's hard for us to know what that is. <laughs> so I think when we start feeding our intentions into an egregore, then we can maybe uncover that a little bit more clearly with who we are and what we are meant to do, because we connect with our core values in that we connect with mm -hmm. what we can express mm -hmm. and what that means and heal. Um, you even talk in your book about like art therapy. And I think that's such an important thing. Even if you feel like you're not creative, can you, can you speak a little bit to that? Cause I know there's a lot of people out there going, Oh, I'm just not creative. I can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I think art therapy is one of the best ways to heal that mindset because that is um kind of symptomatic of a broken spirit kind of talking like in a way and maybe they don't realize that and I'm not trying to shame anybody because I think everyone has a phase like that. Yeah. A absolutely. lot of people yeah, uh no judgment. Um Really, I want to empower people to know that, you know, you don't have to be the most perfect creator to actually 
create. You you can like do a little doodle or a drawing and um, you know, you can do some paint, you can do some collaging, something simple where there's not a lot of pressure, and you just kind of connect with this um childlike joyful self. Um, or you express, you know, something through your art and then you can move on after that. You know, you can kind of like say like, okay, I'm going to reframe this. I, I have an example in the book about reframing a situation specifically where someone said like, you're not an artist. You can't do this. You can't do that. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't express yourself. How often do we hear that? It's, it's quite a lot in this All world. All too often, yeah. <laughs> this is the right way to do it. This is the wrong way to do it. And really, um, you know, releasing all that judgment and all that baggage and history. And I think it's really important for any artist. And it just heals this part of ourselves that knows that we're just creative in and of ourselves. You know, we create ideas out of nowhere and we think of things and like we have ideas about things. And so I think that, you know, but the outward expression, the actual doing it, that's where a lot of judgment comes in. And I see this in the witchcraft world too, with the armchair witches and no judgment with them either, but actually doing yeah. the magic or doing the craft <laughs> for both of those relevancy. Um, but it, it really puts you in a state of empowerment and action and ability, and you don't have to be good. You're expected to be a beginner when you begin. And we're going to set that bar really low. We can even put it on the floor, you know? <laughs> Just, step I just want over. you to, to do something. Um, and because you you could just, you know, you could discover that you have something that actually feeds your soul or that you're actually good at or that you enjoy or that you makes you feel a certain way or happy or healed or something. And, and that's what it's all about. And I think that's like where capitalism kind of tells us not to create because we're we kind of say, I'm not good at it, so I won't do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, what does good at it mean? Why do you need to be good at it if you're just doing it for you? You know, like Zumba yeah. taught me that. Like I'm a bad dancer, uh-huh. <laughs> but I liked doing Zumba because it wasn't a performance. It was like exercise. But then I was like, maybe I'm, maybe it doesn't matter if I'm a bad dancer. Maybe I can still dance. And then that's what led me to take pole classes. And yes. Um, and then, you know, I can't do pole here in Greece. So I've done belly dancing lessons online and I'm thinking of dancing because you do fire dancing, which is like the coolest thing in the world to me. And so I'm cool. so serious. <laughs> Let's do this. Like we were talking yeah. about it on Instagram, like come, come to Greece, do some fire dancing. <laughs> yes. I want to do that so bad. Like let's make it happen. But yeah. yeah. So I think what you're kind of alluding to in the beginning of what you said is like, you know, good enough according to whom you know who is the one who gets yeah. to decide this and it's it, that is an egregore out there in the world too is like don't express yourself don't fit outside the box you know if you stick out as a nail you're going to be hammered down you know or something but oh, yeah. really i think that is um something that we need to reject because it's not helping us and um that egregore i think gets power from oppressing other people just like trolls on the internet try to be like, oh, just stupid, you know, like, don't believe that stuff. You know, you don't, you have a choice. You don't have to just absorb it and internalize that voice. And if you have, you can kick it out. You know, you can say, you're, you're, you're done here, buddy. You're going to go. 
So I think that's an important part too about healing yourself uh, and beginning the artistic process. But it's one that you do have to continue to do as you become an artist and reach other levels too, because those people don't go away. The voice sometimes sticks around or comes in different forms. It's very insidious, you know, but uh, it's worth it to let that stuff go. Definitely. Yeah, yeah I love <laughs> this quote you have in the book. Authenticity runs a lot deeper than popularity which waxes and wanes. That really, really struck me. I used like its own highlighter color <laughs> for that <laughs> quote, because it's something that we run up against on social media a lot. And because I don't, being in Greece, I don't get to interact with people in real life very often. And it's a constant reminder that what we see on social media is not reality. But also like those people are like reaching people through the Internet is, is pretty much my only way of having relationships in the witch world here. Um, so it's mm -hmm. it's a it's a constant balance. And a lot of people are in that boat, whether they're in middle America or rural America or Finland. We've got a lot of listeners in Finland. Um, like there's just a you know, not everybody lives in a hub for their art. Mm -hmm. And it's that's that's a struggling point as well. Yeah. Well, and so what do you think the best solution for that is like doing the podcast like this and sharing this and having the social media and just being real online? Yeah, exactly. Learning to find it acceptable to just know that I'm being authentic and the mm -hmm. right people will be attracted to that, even if it's mm -hmm. not all the people. So you've read the books, you watch the reels, you listen to podcasts, and you're getting comfortable with this exciting world of witchcraft, but you just can't seem to start practicing yet. If you feel that way, if you felt too nervous, confused, or uncertain, maybe just simply overwhelmed to begin actually practicing witchcraft, my next workshop is for you. To Cast a Circle is a 90-minute course in the basics of rituals, spells, and sacred space. No question is too simple. You'll receive a mini grimoire for participating and my personal ritual template. Join us February 10th at 4 p.m. EST, and all tickets come with indefinite access to the recording and resources. Get your tickets at the link in the show notes or seekingnumina.com. Oh, I want to talk about like spirits because I think a lot of people are afraid to to connect with spirits or they just feel like like they don't know how to connect with spirits. And I think that's another part of the societal, the collective shadow that we experience that, oh, you know, don't we were just talking about this before we started uh, tarot card readings, like people are terrified of them or they are really interested in it and they can't wait, can't get enough or they you know book appointments or and they cancel at the last minute because they're afraid of the message. And I feel like that links into connecting with our spirits, our, our creative spirit guides, our spirit mm -hmm. guides in general. So um, you do have a, a spot in here, like connecting to new spirits and, you know, creating those creative connections. And mm -hmm. I, I really, I, I appreciate you touching on that because I think so many people have just a fear. Yeah. Well, and um, we're taught a lot about spirits from the 
Judeo-Christian overmind <laughs> and to, yes. to fear them yes, because they, they say that they could be evil spirits who <clears throat> will want to do things to you. But, you know, um, I think uh, they don't touch upon the other aspects. They, they have a very um, projective perspective about all of this and, you know, fear-based um, religion and stuff. But if you go back to the uh, ancient Greek world, ancient Roman world, they're spirits who um, are good as well and spirits who are mm, not so good maybe, but uh, you know, most of them, I think were neutral <laughs> if I'm, if I'm interpreting it correctly and they were just into their own lives and stuff. But then uh, really, I think that one of the biggest ways to overcome being afraid of spirits is to learn how to banish them. And that's something I learned the hard way. I felt when I was a teenager, I felt a spirit attacking me and doing inappropriate things with my body and stuff. And I was scared. I had a friend who was studying magic at the time named Julian, and he banished this spirit like a confident mf'er and it inspired me so (laughs) much because i felt so powerless like one of the first books i ever bought on magic and witchcraft was psychic protection because i was freaking the f out yeah and and you speak about that in your intuitive witchcraft book too yeah yeah so um inspiring creativity through magic does have a part on how you can banish a spirit and i really took that model after my friend you know, just standing in your power, yes. uh, you know, if whether it's this much or this much and, you know, expanding that as much as you can being in your body and like commanding the air around you and your body and, you know, telling that spirit, it's not welcome here and it's banished. And you can even, you know, say where it's banished to. I find that helpful. You are now, you know, banished to the edge of the road and you are not allowed to come onto my property. You know, you're not allowed to interact with me. You're not allowed to do anything with me at all. You know, my spirit guys will protect me against you. But I think that, um, you know, the fear of spirits can be a very real thing until you say that and you do that. And once you have that experience, this whole other world seems to open up like, oh, wait, I have power. I have more power than this spirit because I just banished it and I might have to banish some more. That's fine. Um, But then knowing that you can um, cleanse your house, protect your home, your whatever, you know, even your body, your vehicle, if you have one. Um, And then going from there and saying like, okay, I know how to evaluate whether it's a good spirit or a bad spirit, bad spirits, you're going to glom on and try to take my energy. They're going to try to tell me bad things, good spirits. I kind of feel like, oh, I feel like happy now. You know, I feel pretty good. And you can, you know, use your intuition to sense that and then work with the ones that are good. If you build trust over time, you know, have that communication going. And if they do anything bad, you know, I just, I would just say they're out. If they lie to you, they're, you're, they're out. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's definitely. no buts about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, I think a lot of times we're taught that our words are not powerful, but that's, I think that's one of the reasons we be, we identify as witches and we become attuned with this practice is because our words have power. Our intent mm-hmm. has power. Our will mm-hmm. has power. And it's up to us to use that. And I think you demonstrate that great in, in allowing people to step into that power and allowing them to say, you know what? 
I don't like you here. Get the hell out. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't need to be here. And that's, I, yeah. I think we need to remember that as, as a collective of witches is that that's one of the reasons why we do the things we do is because we know that there is a power within us and we need to step into that. And we can, we have permission to in this path on this path. Yeah. Well, you are encouraged to step into your power and to yes. exert your sovereignty. And with that, I really liked the way you experience in the, the section in chapter one, which chapter one was my favorite chapter. It really felt like it could have been its own book to go mm-hmm. into all these different ways, cultures, look at what creative spirits are, how they can appear to you and work with you, how you can choose to work with them or reach out to them. You know, even a memoir on like my life with my creative spirit. Like I would read that if, you know, think about it when you're, when you're a crone in 50 years. (laughs) Crone and the crow. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Which I just love his little imagery. I just can picture him with you there. Like I loved reading about your personal creative spirit. Um, but in on on page 32, you talk about experimenting with channeling, like bringing the creative spirit through you to create. And the idea that there are different combinations of self to spirit, like with mm-hmm. dance, it's almost like you also talk about the duende energy mm-hmm. that you can be moved with by your spirit, like 80% spirit, you know, control isn't the word, but you know, uh, inspiration yeah, or influence. versus yeah. writing might yeah. be more half and half or even 40% spirit, mm-hmm. 60% you. Yeah. How did you and learn to experience that or like feel those differences? Well, by doing, I, I, I learned it by doing like everything else I do. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I have to say the most powerful performance I probably ever gave was when one of my uh, fire dancing icons passed away um, unexpectedly from a fire dancing related injury. And she had been trying these um, new things and pyrotechnics and um, uh, her stuff caught on fire and she passed away. And it was hugely detrimental to my friends and I, because we just loved her. Linda Farkas, if anyone knows, um, she was um, a trailblazer. She was making her tools just like we were making our tools. And uh, we vibed off of her energy so much. And then she passed away and we had a show that very night and we were like devastated. And we were like, the show must go on because we you know, wanted to do this in her memory. So even though we were crying, you know, we put on all of our apparatus gear, you know, we're very safe with our fire safety. You know, that's not going to happen to us because we have, um, I think more fire safety and, you know, it's less risky for us, but, um, we danced our hearts out and there was so much emotion in our songs and in our expressions and the spirit moved through us. And, you know, we set that intention before we fire dance and, um, it was just beautiful. And afterward we just, you know, very sweaty, just felt like we had this, uh, ecstatic experience, you know, uh, it was just very, um, we, we were brought down back into our bodies, uh, and, you know, got into that, uh, you know, and just felt like, wow, we really had an experience where something moved through us. And I don't know if, um, the fire dancer wanted that, or if she was there, if she enjoyed it, I felt that she was, and you don't want to speak on behalf of a spirit necessarily, but, um, you know, it was all in her honor and to, memorialize her and to grieve too. So the egg, you know, the, um, 
that one day spirit really moved through us because it's very emotional. But, um, you know, it was just a whole experience. But then, uh, so when I'm writing, I really do have to retain a lot of my own kind of organizational composure. But I really do also love to have the creative spirit assist me with ideas and energy and inspiration. So, yeah, like you said, um, and I think I mentioned in the book, I think it's about 50-50. So I'm writing and I'm start the structure and then the spirit kind of like informs me. And I, I write things sometimes where I'm like, this, this isn't me writing. <laughs> this is something else. And I love it. And this is when I write that kind of stuff, I'm like, I'm not even going to have to edit this. You know, I edit a lot, <laughs> but when they take over and say something, it just flows perfectly. So I really appreciate, you know, having those different kinds of experiences and different ways of experiencing how the creative spirit can be, how we can interact with it. And then the degrees to which we allow them to inspire us and move us and, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, et cetera. And it's so cathartic. Like I can imagine that after that dance, when you, you've, you know, when you reflected back on your loss, like you felt like you'd given that as like an offering in a sense and like bonded over that morning mm-hmm. together. Yeah, yeah. That's really powerful. Yeah, it, it really was. Thank you. And there's something about dance or music. I used to direct theater and I, I acted a little bit here and there and I did singing and like creativity has always been something that I've felt like compelled to do. Like, like you, like, I, I don't feel fully myself without it. Like my anxiety is infinitely worse without it. Mm-hmm. So even when it wasn't to be the best at it or to be good at it, even like it was something that always helped me. And mm-hmm. I will say like writing, and maybe this is why it's less, less spirit and more me when I'm writing, like writing is a little less cathartic. Like if, if I'm going through hard stuff, I actually usually put it on the back burner while I write. Whereas in theater, singing, dancing, I've always felt like I can use that somehow in my performance Mm -hmm. and it will improve it. Whereas my writing, I don't think would be improved if I, you know, brought my drama (laughs) to the, to my word doc. Yeah. Well, I think that um, there's a bit of escapism when you can let go all the way into dance theater for me is that way too. I had some years acting. Uh, and I love it. It's amazing. And singing too. You can just like release and um, let something else just happen. Let let yourself be a different character. Let yourself express something, whether it's through an actual performance or just doing it for yourself with your own music. So you get that escapism. You get out of your head and into something else, something that moves you, something that feels different. And that'll give you that different experience enough so you can come back into your body and your head and say, oh, things are kind of different in here. Cause I think one of the biggest traps that uh, artists can experience is just getting in their heads about things and thinking too much about things and, um, you know, traumatically rebringing them up and reinforcing those traumatic pathways. Whereas getting into our bodies and doing stuff, it really helps us feel things more as opposed to getting trapped in the mind. Yeah, definitely. The mind can be the, our biggest trap. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, when you're talking about singing, yeah, that's, 
and that is such a great offering too when you were working with spirits i think like mm-hmm. our creative outlet is such a great offering not only to help us reframe or rethink things but also just to offer you know it I think we always think of offerings like, oh, here, I have to get a plate of food or, mm-hmm. you know, a drink or an acorn I found, but your expression, your creative expression is a great way to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I, I feel like I'm most myself when I sing, I don't know about you, when I sing in the shower, when I sing in my car, I don't do public performance right. stuff because it's, <laughs> I've here. just got too much going on, <laughs> but yeah, you know, that giving voice to something else and mm-hmm. hearing it come through you know, whether it's rusty or good, doesn't really matter. It's just the the practice of singing. It, it like gives me so much. Yeah. There's this ancient singing um, that you've probably come across in your research of ancient Greece. It mostly is at this point, what we have left recorded is from the Epirus region, like Epirus. And they have this like call and response singing where like one central, usually a woman does mm-hmm. almost like a wailing and then everybody echoes that. And I got to attend one of those performances once, actually for the Elicinian Mysteries, they did a, um, it wasn't like technically pagan, but it was all pagan stuff, you know, which is as best as you can hope for in Greece. And they really just, I, it was like the most moving thing I've encountered. And it's kind of been like one of my goals to find a way to do that with people, like to be in that, to sing it, not just watch it. Um, and it made me think, of I think it's all chapter yeah chapter four where you talk about like getting into the flow I think when we're talking about the creative flow and we're talking about the flow in ritual mm-hmm. which is really quite it's the same thing really if you're if you're working with a creative spirit while you create I think it's it's so culturally frowned upon to let go like that to feel free to just feel and to just be in that flow. And like you say, it feels a little bit like drinking from a fire hose sometimes. <laughs> like yeah. it does, but like <laughs> also like you were super dehydrated and it saved you. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's needed. Like we need those moments. And I wonder like, is, is this one of the many reasons why anxiety is rampant in society? Maybe mm-hmm. because we don't really get those periods of release. We're not given that, like even in ancient Greece where there was no word for woman, it was the same word as chattel. They, had women able to like, you know, call and response chants and go out into the woods as a minad and kill animals with their bare hands. Like they still had expression. So mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it, you know, I don't really want to do that, but the chanting for sure. And also like, maybe that's, maybe that's part of it. Like you had another quote that stood out to me that comparison, judgment, and traumas all shut down self-expression it's a protective mechanism to fit in and survive. Yeah. And what you just described sounds like the, um, the singing sounds so emotive and experience like that sounds amazing. And I really do believe that the flow is connected with water and emotion. You know, it makes sense. Not a lot of like regular people think like that, but you know, here we are. <laughs> yeah. Um, pagans. Our listeners will get it. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so um, I think society does want us to restrict our emotions and have an appropriate display and what's not appropriate. And then there are certain venues for like, you know, that wilder expression. Uh, And we see that even with the ancient Greek practices you were talking about um, in ritual, um, that that scream or, uh, you know, that cry. 
uh, and the main ads, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, you know, ripping, literally ripping apart animals because of their emotions and their, uh, you know, in that they're in that state where they're releasing so much, I think. And it's so liberating to have outlets for that. And a lot of my life since the pandemic has been cultivating practices where I actually rest. I actually decompress. <laughs> I do some kind of movement, whether it's stretching or art, you know, dancing or arts and where I uh, also enjoy music and things like that. So I can keep the emotions flowing so they don't hold up inside me and become recalcitrant and keep me from moving forward. So, and I think, you know, a lot of people talk about shadow work in this regard too. It's a little bit of a nebulous concept. People always want to know, you know, there's more, it's deeper than just that one thing. And it's a lifelong practice that, you know, we do like brushing our teeth, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love what you're saying about that. And I think it is super important for us to get back to those healthy practices and to build a new balanced structure of life where we're actually supported in uh, our emotional catharsis. I think about this a lot, how there's actually nowhere safe for most people to just scream at the top of their lungs. Right. Mm -hmm. When's the last time you had the freedom to do that? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't know if you guys remember, but during COVID, there was like this trend of like howl at the moon tonight. And Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't do it. Like one time I did it and like, I got like texts from neighbors and I was like, I'm never doing this again. And my parents, (laughs) I was at my parents' house at the time. That's why I thought I could do it there because otherwise I lived in Baltimore. Definitely didn't want to try it there. And so I tried it at my parents' house. And this is like a rural area in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, surrounded by Amish, but like still like it wasn't very well received. <laughs> and I wasn't really being that weird. I was fully clothed, you know. Yeah. Just like, travels. <laughs> you know, and they were like, no, no, please don't do don't that. Don't do that. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. I, I, like I'll sit out in my backyard and I want to like howl the moon, but I know that it would not be good because I'm surrounded by people and <laughs> just be like what is going on yeah you just got to play some Shakira you know like. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and that's why I go to festivals is because they have a safe place for us to scream and howl and yeah yeah uh, it's it's amazing yeah I think that's the last place I was yeah. able to like scream and wail and howl at the moon was at a women's retreat because that and that's why I go to them because it's such a different atmosphere mm-hmm. and you're able to express yourself outside of that societal confine mm-hmm. and we need that we need that we need more women's retreats we need more women going to women's retreats or spiritual treats and mm-hmm. howling and wailing and and bantering with their whales <laughs> with each other i love yeah. that i'm, I'm, I'm for and it decompression <laughs> like when you go to a yes. festival it, I, let me know if you have the same experience but um the decompression like ramps up it's you know like this uh line that kind of goes almost straight up in the air and you the first day you decompress so much and you're like wow I didn't realize how much I was holding on to stuff yeah. your body feels looser your mm-hmm. mind feels looser you're looking at nature usually yeah. and then the second day you let go of even more you're like I didn't know I still had stuff I was holding on to and then the yeah. third day you just start to feel so open and free and I really need that in my life at least once a year to have that experience of letting go of 
everything else that I took with me. And I just, I thank the land, you know, that I do this on so much because it helps recycle that energy. It'll take that energy absolutely, and it'll recycle it. Yeah. I I absolutely feel the same way. So when I end up going to, and it has to be a good women's retreat, like I've been to some really bad ones where I'm like, this isn't the energy I'm going for, but the ones that are are well-structured and, and, and they have that, they hold that container of acceptance and, um, and sovereignty those are where I have my most profound spiritual experiences. And yeah, it's like that the wall just comes tumbling down because I, I overregulate. I know it. And it's something that I'm working on, but I overregulate my daily life because that's, that's my programming. So mm-hmm. when I'm able to just drop it all, then I can channel, I can, I can connect with spirit on a much more profound and closer level than I do in my everyday life. So yeah, a ritual in my backyard is definitely going to look different than a ritual surrounded by other women in a women's circle with a roaring fire and the moon ahead, you know, overhead compared to at home. And I think getting us out of our, our predefined bubbles is how we grow and how we experience things through creative outlets, through, you know, spiritual outlets, what have you, wherever you can. Yeah. Yeah. I highly recommend it. And then you just start to see possibilities. Like your mind will connect. Like once you like let go of all that stuff, you just start to see more connections Mm -hmm. at the web of the weird, you know, (laughs) Whoa, I I could do painting or I I could do fire dancing. I I could, and maybe there are a class, there's classes there or something, but um, you know, it's just, it's so helpful to do that and to have that experience and to know that because you can compare it when you're like in your head, like, and you're feeling really small and really stuck. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm bigger than that. I, yes. I take up more space. I have yes. more energy. I'm connected to more things than just that one thought that I keep going back to. Yeah. And, and pulling us mm-hmm. out of that idea that we have to work to pay bills just to work more to pay more bills or, you know, the whole, the, the mundane container that we find ourselves in. If we can just get out of that for a weekend or a week, I think it's so beneficial because we carry that with us and it grows our practice and it grows mm-hmm. our ability to tap into something bigger. Like you said, like this is bigger than us. It's bigger than, than the mm-hmm. mundane. I love and it. your podcast does that too. It's oh, it's like a little you. tiny taste of that, you know, yeah. the possibilities out there. So the thing is, is like, we all do have mirror neurons, right? Mm-hmm. And when we're talking yes. about this, experiencing that and remembering mm-hmm. those things, other people listening can pick up on that and they love can it. be like, oh, I feel more free too. And then Good. that's, it just has like a rippling effect. And I, that's another thing I love about art is that the ripple effect of inspiration. And this goes back to ancient philosophies as well, but uh, it's, it's just so interesting. The more I learned about things, like I kind of knew some things on a basic level, but to know there was confirmation of ancient philosophers talking about this, like, you know, thousands of years ago, it's just wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. Like ancient philosophy is something I recommend to a lot of my students. Like if you are having trouble conceptualizing something or understanding the concept itself, like go and, and listen. I, there's podcasts out there. I don't remember which one I've been listening to lately. I don't remember the name of it, but they're, you know, it's a philosophy podcast. So they go through, you know, different literature and different mm-hmm. ideas Um, like the one they just did recently was the elucidation and Mm, the idea that, you know, how patriarchy swooped in and just kind of took over everything and um, destroyed the contracts with the land that we had. And I was like, whoa, like 
full body chills. Like, wow, that resonates. So yeah. Yeah. I'm going to need a link to that in the show notes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And there is that, like, we need the confirmation from outside of ourselves for what we already know within ourselves, like that we should be able to just go over to that field that looks really nice. And I should be able to just roll down that hill and I should be able to just pick that wildflower. But you know, we can't, but we know we should be able to. So then when we learn the historical reasoning and how recent really, you know, like the enclosure acts and like all these choices that were made by people just a couple generations ahead of us. And then that also extrapolates into other things, like how most people don't know how to sow, don't know how to garden, you know, like we've become very, very uh, dependent on capitalism and the patriarchal structure that encompasses capitalism. And all of it is saying, don't create, you know, like gardens are a chance to be creative. Sewing is a chance to be creative. If I just go on, you know, the latest box stores website and order something made by poor children in Cambodia in factories, like that, that isn't going to have the energy that is going to help my life, but that's not even talked about. That's not even considered. And that's, we don't even realize that's an area of our lives that creativity is being siphoned off of us. Yeah, the profit margin. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's really sad. And I and I really hope that the world can come to an understanding of like child labor, slave labor, mm-hmm. um, because it's not healthy for anyone. And we really need to support systems that dismantle that as much as possible and yeah. do what we can to outsource, you know, that outside of those right. harmful production methods. And there's more and more lawsuits coming up of these big corporations that make millions of dollars that are literally ripping off small artisans and small artists. They're literally taking their images, taking their work and adopting it as their own. And they do it because these small artisans are, they don't have the tools. They don't have the funding, the financial ability to go after them. And it's, it's such an unfair model that we've created for ourselves in, in our capitalistic society. So these small creative people who are putting their heart and soul out there are losing their work because they simply don't have the resources to fight back. Really yeah. We out. need a small artist <laughs> union or something. Yeah, We really do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like an ACLU for artists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, it's Leandra here. I would like to invite you to join me January 21st, 2024 for a live Winter Transformation Summit for Witches. This is a one-day online event to help you transform your everyday activities into magic. This full-day event will begin in the morning, leading into the afternoon, and ending in the evening with a live ritual and Q&A session. So don't miss this free event. Yes, I said free. So click the link in the show notes and reserve your spots. I hope you are as excited as I am to embrace the magic of 2024. I'll see you in the summit. So I loved that you tackled the art of performance and the importance of overcoming stage fright and, you know, that anxiety before a big release. And it was really relatable for me because I did this without putting a name to what your what this was. Like this was so helpful and connected a lot of dots for me. Uh, turning jitters into empowerment, recognizing that fear feels pretty much identical to excitement. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you know, I had to overcome that a lot myself. <laughs> Both when I was an actor uh, on the you know high school stage, and then when I was doing fire dancing, and I really had to wrap my head around it because you know I also studied Buddhism for a long time, and I learned about the ego, and I didn't want my performances to be about the ego. And so first, I had to define like my intention with my performances. And that was really easy. Um, I saw this woman doing a washboard once and she was just full of joy and there was energy flowing off of her. And I was like, that's how I want to perform. I want to be the overflowing cup. And then after I was like, okay, so that's my purpose with my performance, right? I'm going to give back. I'm going to inspire people. I'm going to move them. Then I realized like, you know, the energy is really the same and practicing, putting myself out there, in the performance space uh, was a good way to do it. But then when this, you know, performance time came, I had this pre-ritual of doing, just getting myself in the right mindset, reminding myself why I was there, because often I came just like directly from my day job into like a fire dance performance. <laughs> it was like changing clothes in my car in the parking garage, <laughs> you know, and um, I would listen to um, Poker Face. <laughs> By Lady Gaga. Nice, yes. Uh, for this one in particular, where I was really putting myself out there with my fire dancing. And like this song, uh, the lyrics aren't important. It was the energy. It was that exciting energy, you know, and I wouldn't do anything else. I would just listen to the song, sometimes close my eyes, and I would get into that space so much where it was just like excitement, pure excitement and exhilaration that I could share something like this with all of those people out there. And then that, you know, I would listen to the whole song and then, you know, absorb it. And then I would, you know, get my tools and go out and be like, hey, everybody, you know, with that energy, I was already filled up. So that was what made it really easy for me to perform and to actually give back to people. Yeah. I, I don't know I if I that. touched upon what you were asking or not. <laughs> you did. You did. Yeah. No, that's exactly like where people need to find that thing that moves them that, that mm. even even if it's not to perform for others it, it's to just get yourself psyched up for yes. what you're doing mm-hmm. there's there's such a personal way to do that that we have to discover which like honestly for me when i'm really like i can't i cannot even insert thing here cannot do it like just really unable to get motivated i listen to hamilton and i mm. I, I sing it at the top of my lungs all the way through like that helps. And that's I actually wouldn't be surprised if that's, yeah. Like, I think it's a common one because it's yeah. just unbelievable. And it also like restores my faith in America a little bit. I'm like, man, all these people like came together to make this musical. Like the world's not so bad. Like it just gets me in the right headspace in many ways. Mm-hmm. Like there's something about that music, like the rhythms they they change my mind and a lot of music changes my mind and i've been using that to like reprogram myself from bad moods without like bypassing but just like channeling the energy that i want that i need at the time and i'll go back and do shadow work if i need to but um hamilton uh, really incites so much joy and like uh, uh the right kind of friction as well and yeah. ability power that's what i yeah. feel based on yeah. that I know exactly what you mean. That's exactly how I feel. Like, I'm just so, I'm so like overwhelmingly moved by it. And I think, I think it's because Lin-Manuel was channeling his creative spirit when he created that. There's no way he wasn't. 
Yeah. I would love to hear what he says on that, but yeah, that's that. I think yeah. so. Cause I listened to an interview with him a while ago where he talked about the composite, how he composed, um, uh, Aaron Burr's solo song mm-hmm. for some reason, the names wait for it, how he composed, wait for it. And like, he talks about like how he's, he was on the bus, no, on the Metro looking at the window across from him. And there was something about like the way things were like clicking, like literally like the clicking of the Metro. And it like helped him understand like the counterpoint he wanted to introduce in the music. And then as he's walking up the stairs, he's like, he said, I'm going to paraphrase, but he said like he got struck by something and he, the whole song hit. And so like he played the first recording of Wait For It and he just recorded it into his iPhone. You can hear like New Yorkers in the background because he just had to get it down because he knew he'd yeah. lose it if he didn't. And I was like, that is so relatable for me. Poetry is like that for me. Like, but it's it's similar. It's not like I don't feel physically struck, but I'll feel like I'll get a line whispered to me. Like it's not from me. And if yeah. I don't write it down, yeah, it's gone. And then I can go from there with it, but it's it's mostly channeled through me most of the time with poetry. And you know what's funny is like I 100% believe that was spirit because he was in a moving vehicle and I think there's something about transportation, yes. specifically being on the road and seeing things go by. There's something about that where we're moving uh, and maybe this is, you know, the influence of Hermes or something too. But um, that's when I get a lot of my, what I call, you know, downloads or insights and whatnot. And I have to, um, and I'm driving the car. (laughs) I have to (laughs) like voice record real quick. Like the best thing about, you know, like I just go into this thing and you can hear the car, like (laughs) the wind. (laughs) I don't know how many people attribute this, but I always think of roads as liminal spaces because Mm -hmm. you're not at your destination. (laughs) You're in between. Exactly. You're in between where you're yeah. coming from and where you're going mm-hmm. to. So I always think of that as a liminal space and motion is a, a liminal space in itself. It's not necessarily, you know, physical, but mm-hmm. <laughs> something we experience. So yeah, there's definitely something to that motion, you know, dance mm-hmm. is a liminal space and, you know, vocalizing all that vibration is mm-hmm. liminal. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I think it's so easy to download, but I'm in the same boat as you guys. Like if I, if I don't write it down, if I have that whisper, that inspiration, if I don't document it right away, it is gone. And I find that happens to me most in ritual. Like I'll have my whole plan. It's all there. Like, Oh, I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden, Nope, (laughs) totally different direction. This is what you're doing. This is what you're saying. And then when I get out of it, I'm like, Whoa, wait, I don't remember any of that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the whole aspect of trance too. the trance mind can put you in touch with spirit communication a lot better. And, you know, um, when he, Lin-Manuel was talking about the rhythm that could incite a trance, maybe for him, I could have done that, but, yes. um, you know, we getting ourselves into that trance mind state where, you know, things come to us and then we write them down or we talk them into the voice recorder. Like we said, uh, I think it's a really important thing, especially because you do want to keep trancing out and you can keep going further if you just have that, you know, down and then trance out again. <laughs> like I, I can't tell you, there've been like seven times where I put voice messages on the car, in the car, on the way to work or on the way to see a friend or something. <laughs> and it's ridiculous, but I love it. Yeah. No, you got to do really it because yeah. there, there's been times where I haven't and I regret it for years. Yeah. Like there's still this poem that I know would have been a 
bop. Like, but I wonder if it's kind of like what Elizabeth Gilbert talks about in Big Magic, like how she had that idea for a book. She started the research and then mm-hmm. it, it, she just didn't give it the time it needed. And the spirit left her and went to somebody else. I think she said Ann, Ann Pat, Patchett, I think. Mm-hmm. And she wrote it. The book came mm-hmm. into being almost exactly as Elizabeth Gilbert foresaw, but not by her. And I felt like I think of that all the time. I got chills just now thinking about it again, like the way these spirits, you know, these egregores of that one creation, they do move on. Like they will choose you for a reason. And that's something to remember, like, you know, with capitalism and patriarchy, like we suck, like we're supposed to be, we're told like you suck, like you're just one cog in this machine, but that's not true. We are special. We're all individually gifted with something that we have to share And the creative spirit seeks us out for a reason. So suppressing that is never going to serve us. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the spirits that inspire us. Yeah. They can inspire other people. I think that we know that part of Elizabeth Gilbert's book is just so fantastic to read because, you know, how many people have the same idea at the same time or a similar idea at the same time. And, you know, talking about this art magic book, I signed the contract for this in 2020 and started writing. Um, I had another book to do before it, but um, a lot of, there were no art books about magic at that time. And then I most recently published, you know, 2023, it takes a long time to write and publish a book. But, um, you know, since that time, there have been other art magic books out there, not ones that talk about my same uh, experience with the creative spirit or ritualizing your magic or the performance art magic kind of aspect, but different other topics that they fulfilled that I couldn't probably fulfill. (laughs) So I think it's just wonderful that these spirits do go out there and inspire. They want their stories to be told, or they want a message to come across. And, you know, we can interact with that, pick up on that and put it out there in the world. And um, I really feel like the egregore of this book was calling to me for a long time. I really had to arrange a lot of stuff in my life so I could pay attention to it too and work on that, but a hundred percent worth it. And yeah, like we said, write it down, take those notes, do that voice recording because you'll think you will remember it. But a lot of times you, you won't. Don't. Yeah. Nope. Mm-hmm. It's gone. It's gone. And I'm really glad that you did find the the means and time to write this book, because I know it's going to help a lot of people reclaim their creativity. I think this could very well be the artist way for witches that we've needed. And it's, I'm excited to hear from our listeners, you know, because I I already have shared bits about this on social media and had people tell me like, oh my gosh, I have to get this book. So I'm really excited for this interview to reach all of our listeners. I think it's going to be awesome. So could you tell our listeners where they can find you and keep up to date on your work? Sure. The best place to find me is my webpage, astreataylor.com. And I have information there. I have some freebies there as well, like my intuitive witchcraft sheet, my values sheet, um, uh, and signed books and event listings, which is really uh, fun to do. I love doing events and festivals, as we mentioned. And then I'm also on Instagram as Astrea Taylor and threads as well. On Facebook, Astrea Taylor author is me. And then, yeah, nobody uses Twitter anymore, right? <laughs> do we, do we use Twitter? I no, don't know. I <laughs> never did. <laughs> RIP. I never used it. And I'm just glad that's one less. Yeah, it's social yeah. media to do. Oh my yeah. gosh. It's already too much to handle. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> 
All right. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you. This is great. Thank you. My pleasure. It was so wonderful talking with you. And if I can leave our uh, listeners with one message, it's that you can do the art you've been dreaming of because you're worth it. And your crazy ideas might inspire someone else. So I highly encourage you to do that and to find the time, make that art, put it out there in the world if you want and see what happens. Awesome. Love it. Excellent. Mary meet, Mary part, and And Mary meet meet again. Thank you for joining us on the Magic Kitchen podcast. Please visit my website, leandrawitchwood.com, for news, information, and more episodes. I'm Elise Wells, and I can be found at Seeking Numina on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, and SeekingNumina.com. That's Seeking, N-U-M-I-N-A.com.